This morning, we'll be reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. So today we did begin a new series uh, entitled Images of the Church. But before I um, ask you about images of the church, I just want to say something in general about images by, by using one. So here's my first image. Well, for those of you who are not baseball fans, that's in front of Wrigley Field. For those of you who don't know my family, that's my family. So in that picture, that image, you have two beautiful women, one handsome young man and one dad who's trying to hold his stomach in. Um, <laughs> what, what you might uh, think of when you see that picture is, wow, look at that family, they love baseball. Sort of true. Um, Tricia, David, and Bob love baseball. You'll notice there's only one person who doesn't have any Cubs paraphernalia on, right? No hat, no jersey. It's my wife. Um, We are a happy family, and the only reason she loves the Cubs is because we do. You wouldn't catch that necessarily from the image, right? There's always more behind the image than the image itself. The other thing you wouldn't know is that my wife thinks so little of baseball that she routinely says that the inventors of baseball made a mistake and there should only be seven innings and there should be a time clock. Now that's just awful if you're a baseball fan. Just awful. And she's been frequently known to go to the games with us and take a book. I'm serious. So she's not here for this service, and I'm happy to be able to tell you this, that for the most part, none of us want her to go to the game. Seriously, we don't. I mean, that's a happy photo. We're a happy family. 
But whenever it's time to go see the Cubs, we always think, well, she didn't want to go. You know, let's tell her that we don't really want her to go either. And she knows, and so she rarely goes. There are other images, though, that I want to explore, and those images relate to the church. So I want to explore a couple of images and ask you what comes to mind when you see these images. Obviously, St. Francis Outpatient Center, that, of course, would be a hospital. When you think of the church, do you think of a place for healing? Maybe an image like a hospital. Or maybe, maybe not you, but maybe some people, when they think of the church, they think of a fortress. Um, a place that's safe where people can go. Or maybe, that's an old picture of a school classroom. Maybe you think of the church and you think of learning, right? Teaching. Some churches probably are known more for that than others, and and we've been accused of that, being a, a teaching church more than maybe some other parts of our personality emerging. Or what about this image? That's a grocery store. Notice how many items are on the shelf and how many of those are basically the same thing but different brands. You know what grocery stores are like, right? You can get the off-brand. You can get whatever other brand there is. And when you go down that aisle, what are you doing? You're picking things off the shelf that you want. Or when you go into a shopping mall, you're looking around and seeing what catches your eye, and maybe you even knew what you wanted ahead of time, and you're going into the store and you're shopping. Actually, some people's image of the church might not be that image, but the reality is they focus on church that way. That's why they hop around to so many different churches. They're looking for a new item. Um, Lower calorie. More fat. More sugar. You know, the analogy. They're looking around. Or how about this image? Beautiful little house. White picket fence, right? Quintessential, homey place. Do you think of the church as a home? Or even a house? Or maybe that's the image that comes to mind. A small, white, country church with a cross on top of it. I don't know what your image is of the church, but whatever it is, it's only one part of what the church is, right? And as a matter of fact, that's true of the Scripture when the Scripture speaks about the church. We have lots of images of the church in the Bible. One image of the church is a vineyard or a vine. That image is not up there. We'll probably show that image when we're talking about the image of the church as a vine. But imagine a vine full of purple grapes, right? Or sometimes the image of the church in the New Testament is actually not so much house building as it is household or family. Didn't have any of those images up there. The image of the church sometimes in the New Testament is community, community of Christ followers, community of the faithful. And sometimes the image of the church is body, 
And that's the image we want to focus on just for a few minutes this morning. The body of Christ. It's one of the images that Paul introduces to us, and it helps us to understand at least a little bit about what the church is like. So in order to think about the body of Christ using Romans chapter 12, I want to go verse by verse and highlight some things related to the body of Christ. The first is I want to read verse 2. You heard it read, but hear it again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you would be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The beginning of the chapter says that people like you and me who are in the body of Christ ought to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what do we first think of, at least in our tradition? We think of study of the word and prayer, right? Probably the first things that come to mind. Absolutely legitimate. You know where our second thought goes to? Private study of the word and prayer. Absolutely legitimate. You know where our third thought usually doesn't go to? Study of the word and prayer in the context of other believers who are challenging our interpretation of what we're studying and praying about. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to do. Paul is not suggesting that our minds are renewed by some sort of mystical, personal relationship with Jesus and the Bible. They are. But that is so inadequate. So impoverished. True transformation takes place, Paul argues, over and over again in community. As a matter of fact, the notion that is a very American notion of your private relationship with Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ apart from the church would be something that Paul would say, what? He would have no conception of that. None at all. Paul thought to be a Christian meant to be in community with believers in a local church which is a reflection of the universal church, he would have not been able to even understand private American Christianity. Wouldn't have gotten it at all. So Paul says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and I want you to do it in community. A Bible reading plan is a great thing. We actually started one in January. Dan introduced us to it. Probably most of you are not in the middle of it. I am. I took it seriously, and I was going to be right there with you for any of you who are following along. And I'm doing a wonderful job of getting through it. I'm happy to say. On the other hand, I'm reading by myself. And I'm gaining my own insights. And sometimes I kind of wish I was sitting with all of you when I was reading And then at the end of the passage, I would stop and say, what'd you hear? What did you see? Because that's the body of Christ, my friends. We gain scriptural insights in community, in small groups, in large groups. 
and our minds and our hearts are transformed by faith. But of course, transformation is more than understanding, right? Transformation means that from the inside out, we begin to change. You know what transformation also involves? (laughs) It involves seeing ourselves. Do you know how impossible that is? By yourself? Absolutely impossible. How do I see myself? I mean, even physically, think about this. I've mentioned this before, but it is rather profound. You've never seen your own face. You've seen a reflection in a mirror, which as good as it is, is not absolutely accurate. You can't look yourself in your face. And you can't understand your own heart. The only way you understand your own heart is when in community with other people, you allow them to speak into your life. And then maybe you get insight into your own heart. This this is one of the foundations of Christian marriage, by the way. Marriage is not just about love. It's about transformation. Or as my wife said one time on an occasion which I thought she was going to be romantic, she said, I wonder what it would be like if we discovered that marriage was all about our sanctification. That's not very romantic. Marriage is about you loving me. But I think right then she wasn't loving me very much or not liking me. So she realized that our relationship was sanctifying both of us. That's the way the body of Christ is. We speak into each other's life and we remove self-deception. The second uh, part of the passage I want to mention is actually in verse 3, and I'll read that as well. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of himself or yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. I want to suggest that's verse 3. That verse 3 is like the axle on a wheel. It speaks about things before it, and it speaks about things that will come after it. Like this. Okay? A lot of times we read Scripture symmetrically. We start at chapter 1, and we read through, and we're following Paul's thought. Or we read a book like that, right? And that's fine and well. But the point is this. If you're going to read in context, you don't start with chapter 12, verse 1, and isolate that verse from the other verses. Nor do you just follow Paul's progression of thought and forget what was behind it and how maybe verse 12 is connected to verse 1. So my suggestion is verse 12 and verse 2 and verse 3 are all connected to the rest of the verses that follow. And so, for instance, verse 3 says this. By the grace that's been given to me, I want to tell you something. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. How's that connected to the transformation of the mind? Because you have to have the humility to admit that you don't understand. You've got to have the humility to admit you can't understand the Scripture on your own. You have to have the humility to understand that you can't see yourself. So in community, 
Humility, that principle is absolutely key to self-understanding. We need the insight of others. You know what else we need humility for? We need humility to remind ourselves that as much as we try to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may be able to understand the acceptable will of God, we can't do it on our own. How many of you have had this experience? Somewhere along the way, by faithful study and prayer, you have felt led in such and such way. You believe God has told you this or that. You're inclined to move in a particular direction. And you say to someone, this is what I'm hearing from God. And they say to you, well, I just want to encourage you in that. I want you to listen to God. I want you to listen to your heart. And I want you to follow. How often is that the response? You know it's usually the response, right? Because we want to be encouraging to one another. You know what you probably don't hear very often? That I want to suggest, as according to this act of humility, we ought to hear? We ought to hear someone say, hmm, that's really interesting. Can I ask you a question? What do you think your motivation for this new direction from God is? Is there any way in which there's a selfish motivation, even though it seems to be from God? Have you thought about whether or not this is an appropriate approach based on thus and so? You know what? I want to suggest I want to suggest that that's the important thing to hear. Not just I want to encourage you to hear the voice of the Lord. We all want to be encouraged to hear the voice of the Lord. But my friends, I don't know how to say this with any more emphasis. The voice of the Lord doesn't just come to you individually. It comes to you through community. Because you, just like me, are so self-absorbed that we are full of self-deception. The heart is desperate above all things, desperately wicked. We can't know ourselves. How do we know ourselves? Yes, through the revealed Word of God, but through the voice of another. We've got to have it, my friends. We've got to have it in order to discern the will of God. So the second thing is humility in verse 3. The third thing, and there's only three that I'm going to highlight, is is the word service. And that begins in verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, 
Do it diligently if it is to show mercy. Do it cheerfully. You know what that's all about? Service to others. It's all about service in the body of Christ. At the risk of being um, critical, let me be critical. And by that I mean let me be critical of some people's approach to the teachings on the fruit of the Spirit, on the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. There are many people who focus on the gifts of the Spirit in this way, almost exclusively. They focus on them as really sort of a spiritual kind of psychological self-fulfillment. It goes something like this. What is it that you're gifted in? Where are your passions? Do you want to really be fulfilled? Do you want to know joy in serving the Lord? Then understand your gifts. And exercise them. Just like with anything, there's a partial truth to that. You know what is desperately missing? The gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and everywhere else, the gifts are not for you. The gifts are not about your self-worth. They're not about your personal enrichment. That happens as a byproduct of what they're really about. What they are really about is one word, one word, service to the body of Christ. You have been given gifts so that you can serve other people. And in serving other people, you actually do find yourself. You really do find fulfillment. But if you go at it from the other angle, it will be skewed and misunderstood. So Paul lists all these gifts and what's the purpose of the gifts? To serve the body of Christ. Not to be self-fulfilled. You know, um, service to others, it matures you a lot. I mean, think about this. How hard is it for you to focus on yourself when you're focused on service to others? Kind of hard, isn't it? How easy as it is to become self-absorbed when you're not serving others. Very easy. So the Scripture tells us to use our gifts to serve other people. You quickly stop thinking about yourself if you're serving and praying for another. There's something else that service does. Service actually matures us. It does probably more than any other Christian activity to grow you in your faith. And I'm not going to list the other things that grow you in your faith because then you get into a debate about whether or not I'm right. I'm just saying this. Service is going to give you more than you could ever imagine. It will mature you in ways that you could never imagine. Back to marriage and family. You grow up real fast when you get married. At age 26, the young man in that picture was born to Brenda and I. 
my age, 26. And man, did I grow up fast. And then two and a half years later, the young lady in that picture, she was born into our family. She was entirely different. She was a girl, and she was, well, just lovingly crazy, that girl, Trisha. She was a handful from the time she came out of the womb. And we, we love her more than life itself, and we love him more than life itself. But both of them presented different challenges, and those different challenges matured me. I grew up. You know, I can't put together a program for myself to grow up. Not like that. That program's called children and serving them as a father. And that's what service will do for your spiritual life. Of course, the other part of this image of the body is the connectedness, the interconnectedness. Every part of the body is connected to another, and every part of the body needs another. Or to put it this way, my pinky needs my big toe. I don't usually think much about that, but it's true. You know when it became really evident to me how the body was connected is when I started running intensively and I realized how many things were connected. One time I started having some significant problems with my feet. Um, And a guy who was an expert runner said, well, I know you're having trouble with your feet, but that's not the source of the problem. What? He said, yeah, actually, um, actually it's what you call your hamstring. Okay. He said, so try this trick. And I'm, I'm going to demonstrate it for you. He said, try this trick. He said, cross your legs like that. And then go as far down as you can. It's the jacket that's keeping me from going all the way down. I just hang there. And it was almost, I just didn't hardly believe him. And I started doing it. And my feet felt better. The body's all connected in ways I don't even understand. And I'm not about to study anatomy to figure it out. I'll just take somebody's advice. But the point is, it's all interconnected. And Paul said, you're all interconnected with another in the body of Christ. That's why you must serve. Because when you serve, that other part of the body Christ is served. When you stretch your hamstring, it actually affects your feet. Think about it as an image in the body of Christ. I don't have any more time. Just a couple of inventory questions. Are you independent from the body of Christ or dependent? Uh, let's make the question a little different. Where are you connected? Are you? You need to be. Second question How are you serving others in the body of Christ? Are you? If you're not, you need to be. Third question. Would you like to just kind of stay right where you are and be stagnant and not grow anymore? Would you like to do that? I have a recommendation for you. 
don't be connected to the body of Christ. Because if you're connected, you're not going to stay static. You're going to either grow or you're going to run the other way. Because it's work. Final thing is this. Any physician would tell you that your body is interrelated in terms of its parts and all the parts affect the other part. We just read a soul doctor. It was Paul. And he said, you are something in the body. And if you want to be healthy, serve the whole body. And if you're a foot, you'll be a better foot. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, uh, for how you incline us to hear your word, because we know it's inspired by you. We thank you for how it's so practical and it comes alive, and we thank you for how we are challenged by it. We're encouraged by it and comforted by it, but we don't want it to be just that, because we would be, well, flabby. And we want to have strong spiritual limbs and feet, and we want, we want to grow, Lord. So give us the courage, step into community in such a way that we're challenged, that we serve others, and we grow in this body of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.